Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, and John Fensterwald, who is usually with me in the studio, has skipped town, so we're going to somehow manage without John this week. It actually was a busy week on the California education policy front. One of the things that happened that was most significant was that the governor signed a bill that permanently ends the California high school exit exam, or CASEY. The CASEY became a graduation requirement for the graduating class of 2006. And then about two years ago, questions were raised about its usefulness. There was some administrative snafus, and it was basically put on hold for three years while the superintendent of public instruction, Tom Torlakson, looked at it. And Tom Torlakson recommended to the legislature that this exit exam no longer be continued. Now, in fact, that has been made permanent. There will be no exit exam going forward. And actually, California joins quite a few other states in abolishing one test in order to graduate Just a few years ago, there were 27 states around the country that had an exit exam or a graduation test. Now there are only 13. To read more about it, go to our website at edsource.org. Another big issue, which I'm sure all of you are aware of, has been the wine country fire that has devastated communities across Northern California and is still going on. This has had quite an impact on schools, not just the schools that were most directly affected. Of course, many school buildings have been damaged or destroyed. We don't know how many exactly. Whole communities have been evacuated, and so schools have been out of session. But it also turns out that many schools many, many miles from the fire zone itself have also closed this week, or at least part of the week, due to smoke and other pollution in the air. And uh, that may actually go on next week. So we also wrote about that. For details, go to our website as well. Some of you were able to join us at our symposium in Oakland last week, looking at vulnerable children in California and how schools can better serve them. One of the highlights of our symposium was the award that we gave to Mike Kirst, who is president of the State Board of Education. We gave Mike Ed Source's first Education Champion Award for his many decades of work and contributions to improving California education. After we gave Mike the award, we asked him to say a few words about what he saw as some of the key issues in California education. His remarks were quite interesting and provocative, and we thought we would bring you some of those remarks today. Mike Kirst was first appointed by Governor Brown to be on the State Board of Education, and then he became president of the State Board of Education in 1977 during Governor Brown's first term. Mike was an assistant professor at Stanford at the time. Fast forward many years to Governor Brown's third term in office, and once again, Mike was on the State Board of Education, appointed by Governor Brown, and became president. And during the last few years has had an enormous impact in steering through some of the most significant reforms in California's education history, including the local control funding formula. Mike talked about his concerns about foster care and special education, and he also talked about his close relationship that he has to Governor Brown. Here's Mike Kirst. 
I do want to uh, acknowledge uh, Jerry Brown. I wouldn't be here without him, that's for sure. Uh, I began advising him. I can't remember. It was 1973 or 74. I can't quite pin down the year. Uh, but we have uh, worked together over all these years, including when he was mayor of Oakland, uh, in, in, uh, in, in working these things through. So I want to acknowledge his help in, in doing this and, and uh yeah, this is my 53rd year in uh, education policy. I started in 1964 in the Office of Management and Budget in Washington, and they had openings in veterans, water pollution, and education. You can have any of those, they said. And I said, out of that, I'll take education, so that's how I'm here. And uh, I, the best era, there's been two great eras of education change for me is uh, 64 to 67 in the Johnson administration and then the period uh, really from 2012 uh, on when we really began to get traction. So not many people will be able to say the best years of their career were between ages 71 and 79, but that will be my statement and I hope that's uh, 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 something for young people to look forward to. So in a few remarks about the conference, I, I wanted to talk briefly about two areas that haven't been discussed very much that are uh, very close to my thinking and heart, foster care and special education. And just talk about that. I first got into the foster care issue when I did a report for PACE, which I co-founded with Jim Guthrie in 1983. And uh, I did a report called The Conditions of Children in California. We had 27 authors and covered all aspects of children's life. And I sat in the courtroom of uh, Judge Len Edwards down in Santa Clara County, and he said to me, if you want to see the failure of all of these agencies to work together for children, just come to my foster care court. And I went and I saw it, and it really gave me some uh, ideas forward. And then my daughter, Anne, she is a... Uh, court-appointed special advocate for foster care in Nevada County, California, a rural area, and uh, uh, she also has a foster child. And so I've learned a great deal about foster care through her and through discussing it. And I just think it's, it's one of the most challenging areas. Uh, that it got into local control funding formula, a major force for that was uh, Governor Darrell Steinberg, and Susanna Cooper's here to acknowledge that. So I, I'm really was delighted when that took place. I think on foster care, uh, which hasn't been mentioned in these terms, is what I keep seeing in the cases of these children is the drug abuse of the parents. I mean, it, it, most of it is, at least where Nevada County is drug abuse oriented. Just talked to some uh, person in Mendocino County yesterday. And if we can't do something about that, I'm not sure what we can do about the foster care. Can't reunite the families because the, the drug uh, abuse persists in that regard. So I think it's really an issue there. And I am amazed how much as a foster mother, my daughter Ann has to intervene in the schools to keep her on the college track. I thought we'd gotten rid of, uh, and more mitigated at least, stigmas, but they don't put her in college courses, and she has to intervene all the time. She's uh, on her way, I think, to hopefully uh, Cal State Chico, where they have a special program. So these, this area is really hard and difficult, and uh, I think deserves some serious attention as we're trying to give it, but it is really uh, the education area is just one of many agencies. 
The other issue is special education. I would bet most of the kids that we will discuss during this conference as vulnerable children are in special education programs. And on my bucket list of things to do when I came back was to have an impact on special education, but it hasn't happened yet in any serious way. Linda Darling and Hammond and I uh, got some funding for a report that, uh, and a task force. They did a lot of good work. The Public Policy Institute of California uh, recommended a radical change in funding, which doesn't seem to fly, uh, where we would run it directly through the school districts and not through the, the special education uh, local planning areas called CELPAS. But special education to me is really in deep trouble. It is based on a set of ideas from the 1970s. It, you know, the basic legislation, it comes through the 1970s. It's based heavily on legal negotiations, legal rights. And, and in that regard, I think it needs another look again. So somebody needs to step back and say, we need to update that. It's something. The only worst thing I can think of is the California Higher Education Master Plan. And that was done in 1960. So uh, those two are two that I uh, will be working on in the future. The teacher shortage in special education is the most extreme shortage we have. It's desperate. I am so worried, and I know that uh, many others are, and the districts are just scrambling to find people. This California Teacher Commission has done some really good work in upgrading the standards to be a special education teacher. We, when we had a shortage, we created short-term quickie programs uh, that didn't spend enough time on how to teach or on how to help special ed children. So we've remedied that. But now it takes a long time and it's expensive to get a, a credential in special education. And it's not clear that the rewards in terms of uh, the job where they complain about uh, paperwork that teachers do uh, is, is really uh, uh, something that we can retain people in uh, or attract people to. California still runs the most segregated special ed programs in the country. We have the highest percentage of kids in separate special ed programs. And, you know, some of that is needed and some of it isn't. So that is um, an issue that uh, I would say uh, really we need to focus on vulnerable children. That's their education solution in terms of their IEP and so on, and, and I hope we can look forward to that. That was Mike Kirst, president of California State Board of Education, speaking at EdSource's annual symposium on October 5th in Oakland. One of the things that struck me during Mike's talk was his concerns about the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, that really has been a cornerstone of special education law and progress over many decades. Mike said I should talk to Miriam Friedman, who wrote a book called Special Education 2.0, Breaking Taboos to Build a New Education Law. Miriam was an attorney specializing in special education law for many years, and we talked with her about the reforms that she felt were needed in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That law succeeded and did an excellent job, and I think we have to be very uh, celebratory about it. That law was passed in 1975 when many children with disabilities were excluded, excluded from school 
or they were allowed to sit in the back of the room with no services. This law ended that practice, and we now have many students, about 13 to 14 percent of U.S. students, served by this law. What's happened to this law is what happens often. It continued to grow and morph and change and become ever more dysfunctional and ever more complicated and litigious and adversarial and removed from what children in classrooms and teachers in classrooms need. We absolutely need to open the discussion to have a a second-generation approach to how we educate all students in our public schools. Does this mean redoing the law, a new law, or, or, or what, what is the main thing that needs to be done, do you think, to make it more effective? Honestly, we, we got to get to first base, and first base will be allowing people to be honest in their discussion of the problems. So far, we have been stymied by taboos. You can talk about numbers. You can talk about cost. You can talk about questioning whether or not inclusion works etc., etc. We need to open the discussion. So far, we have not really heard from general ed teachers and parents. We are now talking about programs that place most kids with disabilities most of the time in general ed classrooms. What do you mean by general ed? In California, about uh, 11% of students are identified with special needs. That means 89% are not, and they are the general education students, whether they be English language learners, whether they be gifted and talented, whether they be average, whoever they are, whether they be homeless, all those children, unless they also happen to have a special ed label, are general education students. And so many... Students who are special ed students who, as you refer to inclusion, that means many of them will be in general ed classes, and that means that the teachers in those classes need to know how to work with special ed kids. Is that is that what you're referring to? One of the things we need to discuss is not location, location, location for us. That's kind of a real estate idea. What we need to discuss first is education, education, education. What services does a student need in order to learn? And when I say that, I mean any student, whether they be a struggling student, whether they be on an IEP, a special ed program, or whether they be average or above average. Once we know what these students need, and there are proficiency-based programs out there, there are programs that look, look at Um, intervening as little as possible, as opposed to only looking at location where the kids are are sitting. Once we do that, then we can figure out how to get teachers to teach them. I just wanted to ask you about the notion that for many kids, we only identify them, you know, you can only be put into a special ed program where you can need, where you can get the services that you need after the kid is identified as failing. How does one get around that? How does one identify students before they get to that point? What's happened in general ed and regular ed in the last 10, 15 years is that we have much more targeted practice 
in general ed classrooms for little children to get them up to speed in basic skills and knowledge and so on. That's called response to intervention. It's called multi-tiered system of supports. It's a general ed service. So many kids who might have failed under earlier programs no longer do. And in fact, the number of students with disabilities who have learning disabilities is going down. So the way to fail model was one we worried about, and I still worry about it, but when before all these early interventions, and we would have little children sitting in classrooms struggling with no support, and only after they were way behind did special ed kick in. I think that picture is changing, and probably for the better. That was Miriam Kurtzig-Friedman, author of Special Education 2.0, Breaking Taboos to Build a New Education Law. And this actually dates me. I was involved with special education in the 1970s, working with kids with serious disabilities, and we really welcomed the law, which had just been passed. And uh, the notion that we need to make another look at it is provocative and necessary, as both Mike Kirst and Miriam Friedman have argued during this podcast. That just about wraps it up. For this week in California education, if you like what you've heard, please help others find us by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lewis Friedberg, here with Sarah Tan, our producer. See you next week.